So let me ask you a question. Do you use humor in your sales presentation? And should you even try to do so? Well, let's get into that very interesting subject on today's episode of The Buyer's Mind. Welcome to The Buyer's Mind, where we take a closer look deep inside your customer's decision-making mechanism to reverse engineer the perfect sales presentation. Now, please welcome your host, Jeff Shore. Well, welcome everyone once again to The Buyer's Mind. I am your host, Jeff Shore, where we try and figure out exactly the way that your buyer wants to buy. We figure out the way that they want to buy. We can also determine how we should sell to them to make it easy for them to do just that. And today we're going to tackle a really, really interesting subject with a really, really interesting guest. We're going to talk about humor. And uh, I, I welcome, as always, our show producer, uh, Paul Murphy. And Murph, let me just ask you the question, should we try to be funny during a sales presentation? Well, if we go by my wife, uh, I would say no, because she says, uh, you think you're funny, but you're not. So <laughs> I should probably avoid it. You know, it's a, the, the classic scene in Good Morning Vietnam where I think his name is Hauk, but he's, he fills in for Robin Williams when Robin Williams gets suspended. And he thinks he's funny. He thinks he is funny uh, uh, so much, but he's just he's just not. And, and even the people around him like, sir, you are not funny. I know funny. You are not funny. So that's a tough one, though, isn't it, Murph? Because like, how do you tell somebody, oh, you know what? You're just not funny. My wife doesn't have any problem telling me. Uh, yeah. Uh, my, and I guess my wife will tell me that I am selectively funny. And I know that because she'll say that is not funny. And then I know it was very much not funny. So yeah, it's a tough one. But when it comes to the sales presentation, uh, do you, Murph, want your salesperson to be funny? Yeah, I, I don't mind a sense of humor. I, I think, uh, you know, the, uh, with the right tone and the, and the right... Uh, attitude uh i don't mind somebody uh trying a little bit of humor on me i'm i'm all for a good laugh all right fair enough uh and by the way i i i googled while you were answering i i, I confess and it was bruno kirby who played the role in good morning vietnam so there you go um so you know we're going to look today about this thing called humor and there's one thing that we will look at that i think is really really interesting uh, and you're going to hear this from our guest in in just a little bit uh, humor makes us genuine. Uh, it's it's authenticity, and that's the real goal. Humor is just one avenue that gets you to be authentic, and there's no question about it. We know that there are times when, in the sales presentation, it's just not appropriate to be funny, and we know that in the sales presentation, it's never appropriate to be funny in a way that's crude or crass in any way. But here's what I would suggest might be the way to look at this. Time your lighter moments to coincide with some of the customer's heavy moments. How do you do that? Well, take some time to contemplate some of the heavy moments in the buying process. Those moments when your customer is likely to be a little uptight in some way. So, for example, if you sell cars, your customer is probably emotionally tense when you're talking about the monthly payments. This would be an excellent time for some strategic levity. If you sell property insurance, your customers probably uh, tends to be a little bit tense when talking about what could go wrong in their property. Now, you don't have to crack a joke, but your pleasant calmness is absolutely transferable. And I think that that's what we're talking about here when we think about the role of humor in the sales presentation. It's not so much that it's humor. It's about how do we communicate 
and transfer positive emotion. So we talk about that a lot at Shore Consulting, the concept of emotional transference. We do this all the time, whether we know it or not. And just think about it with your spouse or significant other. If I'm having a bad day, there's no question about it. It won't take long before Karen's having a bad day as well, right? Uh, but conversely, you know, if if uh, if I meet that food server at the restaurant who's really upbeat and a lot of fun, a real genuine person, then what happens over time? I feel better. I, I become happier. That's emotional transference, right? And so this happens in great sales presentations all the time, where we bring a, a, a sense of positive energy to a customer. And then even if they're a little bit negative when they're coming through the door, we outlast them. Now, humor may be the way to do it, but the key here is what am I trying to do? I'm trying to bring positive energy. Now, I want to make sure I'm clear on this. I'm not talking about hyperactive energy. You don't have to you don't have to freak out or spaz out on your customer, but there's that sense of positive energy that says this is this is a this is a good place. This is an easy place. This is a a fun place. All of those things are accomplished uh, through that, that that emotional transference of positive energy. And one way we look at it is with humor. So as we get into our discussion today with Andrew Tarvin, I want to just recommend to you that you're you're keeping an open mind and you're being very evaluative about not just your presentation, but about your customer's buying pattern. What do they go through? And how can you walk alongside your customer to make it easy for them to do what they want to do anyway? All right, joined now by Andrew Tarvin. He is the author of Humor That Works, 501 Ways to Use Humor, Beat Stress, Increase Productivity, and Have Fun at Work. And I don't know about you, but I just think we all need to have a little bit more fun at work, especially in this day and age. Welcome to The Buyer's Mind. Andrew Tarvin, how are you, sir? I am doing well. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Uh, and and you're uh, calling in from uh, Brooklyn, uh, New York. So boy, you you've just got material all over the place. If you want to go out and find something funny. Oh, absolutely. For days, I just step outside, uh, walk around for about ten minutes, and suddenly I've got a notebook full of ideas. <laughs> that that is awesome. And that this really is kind of you know, your specialty. It is. Uh, how to uh, uh, bring out the humans and people through humor. So I just got to ask you the question. I'm just going to channel Robert Wall, um, uh, Marty Lee Dreiwitz from uh, Good Morning Vietnam. Say something funny right now. Right. That's exactly the the goal. Because it's like, you know, when you're talking to salespeople, it's like, sell me something right now. Influence yes, exactly. Me. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. But no, I mean, it's, it's a common response to things that we have to get used to. And actually, people tend to uh, smile, at least kind of, perk up at my job title. I'm the uh, the world's first humor engineer, as far as I know. And so that's sometimes a starting point to get people to be like, all right, something's a little bit different about this person. It's one, he kind of looks like a skinny Hugh Jackman. And two, he's made up his own job title. <laughs> but which we all want to do, really, when you think about it. I mean, if we were all given the choice to make up our job title, I guarantee you we'd have far less boring titles than uh, than we see uh, right now. What is your background, Andrew? How did how, what what led you to this course in life, and how do your parents feel about this? <laughs> uh, well, my background is in engineering, which is uh, perfectly sensible for a lot of people. I, I teach people how to use humor and I do stand up and improv and people are like, what's your background? I say engineering. They're like, of course, naturally. That's what we all assumed. Uh, no, but uh, computer science and engineering from uh, the Ohio State University is kind of where I started. And uh, 
uh, after I graduated, started working at Procter & Gamble as an IT project manager. And, and that mindset's always been with me. I've always been an engineer. As a kid, I used to like to take things apart and put them back together again, things like clocks and radios and my parents' marriage, which uh, never really got that one back together, right? Uh, but uh, no, I was always obsessed with efficiency. Uh, you know, how can I do my work as efficiently as possible? And it's still something that I think about. When I first moved to New York, I counted the number of steps using a Fitbit uh, for the different directions to the different subways to know which is the fastest subway for me to get to. It's just kind of how I think. Um, but uh, at PNG, I started to realize that there is a difference between being efficient and being effective. And while you could be efficient with things like computers, you can't really be efficient with things like people because they have emotions and feelings. And I'm doing air quotes, um, but uh, realizing that, you know, uh, that's how humans work is we have those emotions and feelings. And so we can't be efficient. Instead, we have to be effective. And um, as a stereotypical engineer, stereotypical nerds, I think I meet at least one of the stereotypes, you know, skinny body, nasally voice, allergy to the sun. Uh, right? I mean, one of the stereotypes of being a nerd, I didn't have the skill set I needed to be effective with people. But uh, luckily for me in school, I started doing improv and stand up. And at PNG started to realize the reason I was being successful was because of some of the ideas and mindsets and uh, skills that I had learned from improv and stand up, I was applying them in the workplace. And that's why I was getting results. Okay, just connect the dots though. You're you're in school and you're you're studying to become an engineer, and you've got this uh, highly efficient background, and you do really really weird stuff like count steps uh, to subway stations. And at that point, you go, well, the next logical step is to take an improv class so I can do stand up comedy. Connect the dots. That does not make sense to me. Yeah, well, so my best friend in college wanted to start an improv group and basically forced me to join. Uh, and yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He was like, we, we should do this. And, and uh, he didn't have to twist my arm too much, but uh, yeah, I don't think I ever would have been the person sitting in a comedy club and been like, yeah, I'm going to do that and it's going to make me better. And eventually I'm going to start a business based off of it. Not at all. Uh, it was just, you know, in college, you're like, yeah, sure. I'll do whatever my friends are doing. And I will say that uh, what I did not have in comedy skill at the time I made up for in comedy project management. I uh, was like, all right, if we're going to do a group, we're going to practice three times a week. We're going to have a business meeting every Monday. We're going to film all of our shows and go back and watch it as if it's like game tape because we had no formal training in this. We watched two lines it anyway and tried to repeat what we saw. Uh, but over time, with that practice and repetition, we got better. And that's when I realized and discovered that humor is a skill. And if it's a skill, it means it can be learned. And we learn we learn it the same way we learn any other skill through a little bit of education and then tons of practice, tons of messing it up, uh, but getting out there and trying it over and over again and seeing what works. Okay. So I want to get into that in a second, but let's let's stay to your background here for just a moment. Tell us about your first uh stand-up gig. Uh so my first stand-up gig was in uh Woody's at the Ohio State University. Uh we had been doing improv for about a year, and then there's a comedy competition at Ohio State. And so a bunch of us in the improv group were like, oh, if we can be funny, you know, when we we make it up on the spot, it's gotta be easier to be funnier when we write it down. And it turns out that stand-up is a lot harder than improv, uh, at least for me. And um, so I got up there and I got a handful of laughs. But the thing that it taught me was that 
I myself was actually funny because in improv, I was like, maybe it's just the people that I'm with. My my friend is out in L.A. as a comedian. He's hilarious. Like maybe it's just them that's funny. But it was me by myself sharing my thoughts. And I got the audience to laugh a little bit. And it told me, one, that I was funny. And two, there was a cool logic to it. There was, you know, I, I've since explained comedy in a way is kind of like math with words. You know, this concept plus this idea creates, you know, something new for the audience to laugh. So I realized there's actually a lot of structure and logic to the process. So I fell in love. You, we, I want to talk here about the idea that you discover that human is the humor is a skill. You just put a little math equation to it. But isn't there a, a paradigm shift that often has to take place uh, um, internally first for a lot of people? Uh, it, there are a lot of people who are going to just look at it and go, well, this is a real problem. I'm interested in the subject, but we've got a problem. And the problem is I'm not funny. I mean, let's say some people shouldn't sing. Let's just face it. So, uh, you know, is, is there a uh, can you just sort of will this into being funny? Or are there some people hey, you have a sense of humor or you don't have a sense of humor? Let's just be honest. Well, I mean, there's certain people that should sing professionally. But I mean, look at William Hung. He had a successful career from, you know, not being great at singing and, and look at the, the market of karaoke. And just because you can't sing well doesn't mean that you can't sing in the car, right? I, I have a terrible singing voice, but that doesn't stop me from rocking out to some Adele when I'm alone in the car sitting in traffic. And so I think there's this idea that, you know, because you're not necessarily maybe funny for a stand-up comedy stage, that doesn't mean that you can't use humor to be more effective in the workplace because there is a difference between sense of humor and like ability to humor. And I've never met anyone without a sense of humor, right? I've met people with a very specific sense of humor, but I don't think there's a single human being on the planet that's never laughed. Uh, yeah, that's a, it's a, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. All right. So if we looked at it and we said, um, I, I okay, here I am, like our, my audience is, is, uh, largely based uh, of, of sales and marketing professionals. And I think they're, they're always asking the question, when should I be funny? Right. It, it's, uh, th th let's face it. There are times when we try something, we think it's funny and, and maybe our, our filter is a little damaged. So the way that I think it's funny, it's not going to be the way that other people are going to think it's funny. I think that there's sometimes a little bit of fear here for sales professionals that are going to look at it and say, well, what if it backfires? I could, I could blow my whole deal because I was trying to be funny. And in fact, I, I just, you know, offended somebody. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's a very common fear. But the, the reality is that I've, I don't know anyone who's ever been fired because of a bad joke. Uh, I know people have been fired because of inappropriate jokes, but not a bad joke. Right. And in fact, they did a study at uh, Wharton and Harvard that found that uh, when people use humor, if it was positive, inclusive humor, even if the other person didn't laugh, even if it wasn't met with a positive response, the person was still seen as more confident, more competent and more capable. And so, you know, just the, the willingness to try humor is good. And that positive piece, though, is, is very important because, um, you know, we as Americans do love sarcasm and satire and kind of like, you know, especially with their friends kind of poking fun of them. But that's a more aggressive style of humor. There's also affiliative and self-enhancing humor, which is our two positive forms of humor that work a little bit better in the workplace that tend to anyway. And so part of it is the style of humor that you use. And then to answer your question of when, 
this is what I love about humor as an engineer is that it's so effective that there are 30 plus benefits to using humor and they kind of spread across the five kind of key areas of work that we do, you know, execution, thinking, uh, problem solving, uh, building relationships, communicating and leading humor can be applied across all of those. And so the, what, the, what we teach is the idea of the humor map where you're taking a look at your medium, your audience and your purpose. So your medium is how are you going to execute that humor? Is it, you know, in a cold call, is it in a cold email? Um, I remember uh, not too long ago, I got a cold email from some group. Uh, I didn't respond to it. And a week later, do you know the, um, the John Travolta meme? It's a gif of him from Pulp Fiction where he's just kind of looking around. Right. Yeah. Um, like he's got his overcoat over his arm. And yeah. yeah. Yep. And he's just kind of like looking around like what's going on. Uh, so this person sent me just that gif in the email as a, a week later follow up. And it made me laugh because it's like, yeah, that's kind of, I didn't, I, had, I hadn't responded. And he's just like, hey, what's going on? Where's the message? You can respond or not. Right. So you can use humor in uh, in an email. And it got me to actually respond to this person. I still didn't buy, but it made me like this person a little bit more, made me take another look at this particular moment. Right. Uh, then you have to understand who is the audience. Right. And so your audience could be, you know, is this someone that you're meeting for the very first time or is it a client that you've been working with for the past five years? Right. That's going to change the dynamic and also what they need, what they know, what they expect, what the situation is. And then finally, what your purpose is. Why do you want to use humor? Because humor for the sake of I just want to use it uh, is OK, I guess. But the engineer in me loves that we can use it for a specific reason, right? So this person used the John Travolta meme as a way to get me to pay attention and actually respond. Or we can use humor as a way to build rapport quickly with a client. Or we can use it to manage our own stress. I remember talking with um, a salesperson who uh, she traveled quite a bit and she had a Tickle Me Elmo doll that would sit in her uh, passenger seat and anytime she needed, she went like had a, a stressful client call, she would come out to the car and just kind of do the, you know, turn the tickle me Elmo thing on. Uh, right. And she joked that she thought that that should allow her to get into the HOV lanes. Right. And so it's going to be different for every person what they do. But we have so many specific reasons or benefits that we can gain from humor that we should be intentional about that. And that's that helps us control okay, the win. I think that sometimes salespeople look at it and think if I if I try to be funny and I'm not funny, uh, then uh, that they're just not going to like me. And it sounds like what you're, you're suggesting is, no, no, even if you try to be funny and they don't think you're funny, they'll probably like you more. Because as you pointed out, it shows a sense of of, uh, of confidence that that you're willing to put yourself out there. Because let's face it, part of, of displaying humor is there's some risk involved, right? Every time I'm going to try and say something, do something funny, there's always a little risk involved. I wonder if it's just a, a fear defense that, that, that pops up in people's head. I think a little bit. And, and, and obviously there, there are extremes to it, right? If you, if you spend 10 minutes of a, of a client call, really trying to workshop some stand-up material as if you're in a stand-up club and it is bombing, right? That's not going to suddenly be like, oh, that guy was confident we should pay him. Uh, right. But if you say a single joke, if you tell a story that's not like the, the funniest thing in the world, then, uh, you know, that one thing isn't going to unravel everything. Typically, I think the other thing to recognize is that humor is more broad than comedy. Right. So comedy is a subset of humor. 
but humor is defined as a comic absurd or incongruous quality causing amusement. So if you're not comfortable with doing uh, a joke or trying to specifically be funny, then maybe try to be amusing. Right. We talk about humor in the workplace or humor that works our brand as a way of working that is different, effective and fun. So not necessarily funny, but more fun. And so how can you bring more of a smile? How can you do things a little bit differently? If, and if you're not great at it, you can also leverage the humor of other people. This is where the value of sense of humor comes in, right? So you can create a, sit, a pitch deck that you use images from uh, Flickr under a Creative Commons license that are interesting pictures instead of just you know a wall full of text. Or you can kind of share uh, a story, right, and, and connect it as long as it's connected to kind of the, the thing that you're talking about a little bit later. But use a story like, oh, as so-and-so said, or as, you know, this comedian has talked about, or X, Y, or Z. So, for example, um, when I'm explaining the structure of humor, I'll use uh, George Burns' quote. Uh, so there's a great George Burns quote uh, that says, uh, happiness is having a caring tight-knit family in another city. <laughs> great line. Yeah. Um, yeah, but great when line. I'm talking about structure, right, I'm, I would say that, you know, structure is important. You want to put the funny piece at the end. And so it's not happiness is having a family in another sitting who is caring and tight-knit, right? That's not as funny. So that structure is important. But I didn't, so I didn't have to use a joke that I created. Instead, I'm giving George Burns his due and then using that example, right? So with you know, the popularity of memes with GIFs in our keyboards, with um, emojis that we can use, with links to YouTube videos, with quotations that we can pull from the internet. Again, you don't have to be the source of humor. You don't have to be the creator of humor, but you can still be the, you know, the shepherd of humor. And you just want to make sure that you give proper credit and don't violate, you know, any copyright rules. But that can be a starting point for some people who feel like, oh, I'm just not funny. It's really interesting. As, as I'm talking to you, Andrew, I'm I'm listening. We're talking to Andrew uh, Tarvin, the author of Humor at Work and his website, uh, humorthatworks.com. We'll put that in the show notes. There's a host of resources there. Uh, it, it's interesting because, you know, I'm always impressed by people and, in, and intrigued and attracted to people who who are who obsess about things uh, that are worth obsessing about. And this is one of those things where this doesn't sound like an interest to you. It sounds it, I would classify it under the category of obsession. Do you agree with that? <laughs> I would agree. Well, and and I think that that's part of like if you're going to be a, a full on comedian, I think that's part of what it is. So like, you know, a friend of mine who is a speaker but speaks and uses things like magic has talked about magic. Being a magician is really about just spending far more time than any other human would ever consider spending time on to learn a trick so that it looks natural. And comedy, a lot of times, is just spending far more time, far more time thinking about a particular subject and looking at it at all of its different angles than most people would think about, right? So I spend a lot of time looking at efficiency, or I don't know. I, I realize do you have a do you have a favorite number, Jeff? Well, I'll just go with my. I wear number eleven on my hockey jersey. Let's go with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, right. So you have a favorite number 11. Uh, maybe it's not super, but for me, like I love all the numbers because um, I'm a nerd, but like favorite number is eight. Um, and most, most people have a favorite number. The interesting thing is like, do you have a favorite letter? No, I've never thought of a favorite letter. 
most people don't have a favorite letter, right? Uh, I do. My favorite letter is A. It's the start of my name. Um, it is symmetrical, right? A plus, it's good. I also have a least favorite letter. I think Q is worthless. I think we should get rid of it, get to a 25-letter alphabet, right? So you can just kind of start to go down this rabbit hole of like, oh, that's interesting. And that's where your sense of humor comes in. Your sense of humor is simply what makes you curious about the world? What makes you go, huh? That's interesting. And then as comedians, we build off of that point of view, right? So the the joke that I share in my my TEDx talk is that it took me going to the state of Florida to realize that the rapper Flo Rida got his nickname from his home state of Florida, and he put a space in it, right? That blew my mind. And so that's just kind of an observation, but you can extrapolate from that. You can build from it. And you can say, if this is true, what else is true? Uh, so then you can say things like, all right, um, I think other places should do that. I think there should be a Hispanic travel agency in Dover called De La Ware. Sure. Why not? Right? If this is true, what else? Makes perfect sense. Sure. Yeah. But I, I love the whole concept that because it, it that speak this goes far beyond the idea of how do I use uh, humor in my work or in my sales process, whatever it is, just to say that you just spend more time on that than most people. I mean, let's face it. A lot of people are going to say, well, I'm not really funny. But if you challenge them and say, okay, well, how much time have you spent just thinking about funny things? And they're probably going to tell you not all that often. I, I want to ask you about one other thing here. And just go back to your, your stand-up days. When you think about most people even thinking about stand-up or improv, it just scares the life out of them. And uh, you know they, they, they can't even imagine being in that setting. It's the fear of public speaking, the fear of being in front of people, whatever it is. Uh, for, first of all, is it fear or is it just rampant discomfort? Ooh, I like that phrase. I think it's rampant discomfort, right? Well, so I was, I was speaking in uh, Switzerland a few years ago and one of the other speakers was a guy named Kevin Richardson. Uh, he's also known as the Lion Whisperer. So like if you've ever seen the YouTube video of like a lion hugging a guy, that's this guy, Kevin Richardson. Uh, and he and I were talking before the event and he found out that he did stand up comedy. He's like, oh, I can never do that. It's too scary. And I'm like, you live with lions. Right? Like like somehow living with lions is somehow not as scary or is. Uh, yeah, it's not as scary as standing up on stage in front of people talking into a microphone. Right. And so I think to your point, it's rampant discovered and it comes from the fact that you haven't done it before. Absolutely. When I first started doing improv and stand up, I was completely ner I was nervous wreck the entire day. Like I couldn't eat anything. It would mess with me. And then I would I did it for a little bit. And then I was a, a, an entire wreck for like half of the day and then only like two hours before and then only an hour before. And then kind of a practice and repetition. Now I'm comfortable being able to do it. But it's just like. The first time you learn to drive a car, you're sitting there and you're like, oh, my God, I'm in, I'm responsible for a lot of metal that can go really fast. And you become a little bit nervous about it. And then now there's times there, there might be people listening to this podcast that are driving and forgot that they were driving. Right. They're like, I don't remember the last 20 minutes of me driving and I'm on the highway going 70 miles an hour. Right. Because it's from practice and repetition. And so I think it's just, you know, getting out there and trying it. And it, it doesn't have to be certainly one. I think that everyone should take an improv class. I think that you will learn life skills that will benefit you not only in work, but uh, at home as well. But even if you don't do that, to your point that you talked about a little bit earlier, just think a little bit more about it. Just when you make someone laugh, because you do, when you make someone laugh, just kind of have a little trigger in your head to see like, oh, OK, why was that? What was it that I said? 
And then the other thing that comedians do is they practice a lot of different things and they tweak it. So if you're on a sales call and you know all the time you're going to have to say a little bit about your background or a little bit about your product or something that you're going to have to do over and over and over again, just start to make slight tweaks to it and you beta test it. Okay, if I say it this way, does this get a smile or does this get a laugh? And if it does, keep it. And if it doesn't, then try something new, right? It doesn't have to be, you know, the the fear that you talked about earlier that is this joke going to work or not? What comedians do is they just practice that material a ton and they know, oh, okay, this is going to work as a joke because I've done it in front of 100 different audiences before. You're going to have the conversations anyway. You might as well have a little bit more fun with them. You know, I, we're almost out of time, but I wanted to ask you just because I was you just made the suggestion. I was going to ask anyway about the idea of improv, not just for the purpose of uh, performing, but just as a life skill. You know, I, for me, I haven't tried improv since I was in high school. You know, all I know is I watch Who's Line and I go, Colin Mockery is just like the most creative guy I've ever met in my life. How, how could I ever be like that? Well, then I have to remind myself I'm not auditioning for Who's Line. So the question mm -hmm. then is, what are the benefits that you're going to get out of an improv? class and if somebody did want to take an improv class what would they expect to see when they showed up for that class for the first time yeah so i think a couple of things one we uh there's an entire book by patricia ryan mattson called improv wisdom and it's basically life lessons learned from improv uh, on the humor that works site we have a blog post that is 10 life tips learned from improv class and they include things like how to be a better listener, how to be more present, particularly in a world that is constantly distracted. How do you be more present? How do you react more honestly? It, it improves listening skills and improves your ability to think on your feet and be able to react to stuff. I mean, listen, it taught an engineer how to actually have human conversations with people. Um, that's like a pretty good testament to the, the power of improvisation and when you go to a class it kind of depends you're either going to learn short form which is like whose line is it anyway or long form which is more scene based it's what you see at like say ucb or io uh, in chicago but you're going to be there with a group of people and you're going to do a couple of exercise and activities just to kind of practice this in a safe environment and this is why we use a lot of applied improv in our training programs is because we use them as a way to it's an interactive exercise and we're applying concepts from improv to the world of say communication or leadership skills and then you're practicing those skills in a safe world where you know if you make a mistake in an improv class if you kind of stumble over yourself or you say something that you know you can't quite figure out how to say it or you can't come up with something it's safe to do that in an improv class you're learning that skill so that when you are in front of clients or you are at a networking event later you have already built up that skill and you know how to react. So, you know, I could go on for days about the benefits of improv. It's my belief, you know, it's my wish that every student growing up takes a programming class because it, it teaches problem solving and thinking skills and they teach an improv class because it teaches you the human skill. Love it, love it. Hey, we're, we're out of time, but we have just enough here to get you on the hot seat. Rapid fire questions, rapid fire answers. You ready? Right, go. Your, your very first job? A cart pusher at Meyer. Love it. When you were 10, you thought you would be what? Uh, I wanted to be an international soccer superstar. That did not happen. Did not happen, huh? I was going to say, I've not heard of you. Um, um, most beautiful place you've ever stood? Uh, Imperial Point on the North Rim of the Grand Canyon. Mm -hmm. uh, any book that you've read that made a profound impact on your life? Uh, Improv Wisdom is certainly one of them, and uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, and uh, 
Calvin and Hobbes, a complete anthology of Calvin and Hobbes is my final answer. You cannot go wrong there. Uh, a movie you've seen multiple times, but you just can't help it. If it comes on, you have to see it again. Airplane, my favorite movie. Love it. And uh, the name of your first celebrity crush. Uh, first celebrity, Kate Beckinsale. <laughs> you were off the hot seat. That, uh, Andrew, that was a lot of fun. I really appreciate you being on the show. Is I know it's very, very helpful to our audience. And to our audience, I want to just drive you over to humorthatworks.com. And if you just uh, click on a tab called For Individuals, uh, you're going to find just a host of really, really interesting, really, really helpful tools for how you do work. And then for organizations, you can, uh, you can learn how you can uh, bring Andrew in for workshops, for coaching, and for uh, just a really amazing uh, opportunities to, to do something that, let's face it, the world needs more of. And I think we can make the world a little bit of a better place. Uh, Andrew Tarvin, thanks for being on The Buyer's Mind. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'll give one last quick shout out for people if they're wondering where to start. I'm an engineer, former project manager. Got to end on next steps. Think one smile per hour. Think one thing that you can do each hour of your day to bring a smile to your face or someone else's face. And that's how you start to build a humor habit and start to get the benefits of humor in the workplace. So Murph, how much fun was that? That was a blast. Now I have a question for you. Do you know who William Hung is? Sure. I, I mean, absolutely. Uh, famous for uh, the remake of, uh, of of the song She Bangs and, and Ricky Martin do, doing his best Ricky Martin on American Idol. Do you remember that? I do remember that. And it's interesting. He parlayed a whole career out of that. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. But, but listen, Andrew Tarvin is an interesting cat, though, right? He just sort of thinks a little differently. Well, and I think that's why we had him on the show was to help uh, everybody kind of think outside the box a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But to, to go from, you know, uh, an engineer at a big company like Procter & Gamble, where you know, my guess is they probably didn't have stand up and improv sessions in the lunchroom. And to look at that and say, OK, now here I go. I'm going to become a humor engineer. Uh, that that takes some gutsiness to be able to do that. It, it's really uh, uh, cool to see the way that uh, it, it played out. But I just love that sense that he he just takes this seriously. Normally, you don't look and say, well, it's humor, so we don't take it too seriously. I got the sense that he takes his humor very seriously. He does. And, uh, you know, one of the examples of that, uh, at least in one of the videos I saw, was when he was a project manager at Procter & Gamble, was renaming the project and calling it the Project for Awesomeness. Come on, that's <laughs> pretty hilarious. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, why not? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I'll tell you, um, when when he was talking about this and he was talking about how how, how he he has turned this into a craft. And of course, that's right in line with what we always talk about here on The Buyer's Mind. The idea that when it comes to the sales world and the job that salespeople do, uh, it's not something that we ever want to look at sit back and go, okay, well, you know, I've learned, I've learned how to do sales. I guess I'm done now. And I see so many salespeople that peak and they get to the point where I, I, I know what I need to know. And then they get on autopilot. And then what happens? The rest of the world changes around them. And consequently, their skills become outdated very, very quickly. But one thing that Andrew talked about that I absolutely loved was the whole idea, the whole concept that he obsesses about this. And he, and he put it very, very simple. What did he say? He said, I spend more time than most people on this subject. 
I just spend more time than most people. Now, to me, that is very, very important because whether you're looking at how to be uh, uh, how to use humor in your process, whether you're you're looking at a, a a skill, whether you're 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 trying to get better at a you know a musical instrument or athletics or whatever it is, or when you're looking at sales, are you a student? Are you somebody who is simply willing to put more time into crafting what makes you great? Whatever that is, whatever you are doing, are you taking the time and thinking about it more? And I want to make a suggestion here to you. That's exactly what your customer needs you to do. Your customer needs you to put more time thinking about what you do. Over and over again, we get into this habit of just doing. We spend so much time in doing that we're relying on the thinking of old thoughts. And I want to recommend to you here that you want to be thinking new thoughts. You want to use your creativity and invest that time to think about what it is that you do. This is such an important way to go about this because at the end of the day, you will get stronger. You will be more effective. But the bottom line is you will serve the people that you are called to serve in a way that you've never done it before. It is time to obsess about those things in your career that will really, really matter. When you obsess on how to take care of people, that is when you change their world. We'll see you next time.